Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org, where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep the special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Eric. I remember to unmute, always the important thing. Uh, I'm notorious for going on for several minutes before I realize I forgot to turn the mic on. Uh, thank you so much for letting me share. My name is Eric, I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I did not raise my hand, but it is worth noting that as of October 12th, I have nine years of abstinence. Uh, it's not the first time I was in the program. Uh, I uh, first came in the program as far back as 1992. And so uh, uh, I'll try and give some talk about what it was like. It's my hope today to uh, talk a little bit about how this program just helps me to become a better person and live my life on a daily basis. Uh, and uh, 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 hopefully we'll, we'll work the time right. So when it comes to me being a compulsive overeater, uh, I come from, interestingly enough, on my father's side of the family, a tremendous multiple generations of alcoholics and otherwise problem drinkers. Uh, on my mom's side, there are certainly hints, at least uh, through my grandfather, that there could have been similar issues as well. And I say that only because uh, I'm an introvert. And as a child, uh, I began compulsive overeating as early as second grade. We moved when I was a second grader and I had to find all new friends. And as an introvert, that was always a problem. Um, back in those days, I was very much a latchkey child. You know, it's, it's funny to think that uh, uh, when I went to kindergarten, my mom spent the week before kindergarten started teaching me how to walk to school. So, I mean, my first day of kindergarten, I walked by myself to school and home. Uh, you know, and it's ironic to think about that because nowadays, obviously, uh, I don't think uh, a child could be allowed to do that. But I was certainly left to my own devices. And in second grade, here I was in a strange environment, uh, uh, a bit of a, a reclusive, shy child to begin with. and I had two hours alone in the house from about uh, 3.30, the time I got home, until about 5.30 or 6 every day. And I not only discovered Mike Douglas at an extremely young age, but uh, I discovered cinnamon toast. Um, I am, uh, by all accounts, uh, just a horrific sugar addict. I've done stuff with sugar that I'm pretty certain are illegal in some of the Bible uh, states. Uh, and so as a second grader, I really discovered a disease, uh, you know, and I suppose it's just as well that I had no access to alcohol, because as I said, I certainly think I was looking for a drug uh, as early as eight years old, and I found it in food. Um, I talk about being a serious sugar addict. I like to tell people that, you know, uh, the high holidays for me were Halloween without exception. Uh, I was trick-or-treating just as soon as I could get out on the streets after school. And I was usually the last child still ringing doorbells, you know, at whatever, 930 at night on, <laughs> on Halloween, you know. Uh, uh, and, and so that's the way I was. Um, and so I was a compulsive overeater from second grade. I began to have a weight problem, obviously, associated with that. And 
and battled that through most of my, you know, uh, grade school and, and school life. We moved to Chicago when I was 10. So yet again, I found myself isolated uh, uh, and as an introvert, uh, having issues with, with, with finding friends and so forth. Um, uh, the first time I came into program, uh, let me say this, I got married when I was 21 uh, to a really marvelous woman. Uh, the only problem was she was an alcoholic and I was an alcoholic with her for a while, but then when uh, she was so good at drinking, I could not keep up with her that I very quickly reverted back to my compulsive overeating and she continued to drink. Um, and the first time I came into program was 1992. I was about 32 years old and I couldn't stop eating and I was, my marriage was coming apart. And uh, uh, I found myself an evening when the in-laws were coming to visit not only unable to stop eating, but desperately trying to shove every last piece of food in my mouth before they arrived. You know what I mean? And, and so that was when I first realized, you know, that I had a serious problem. I came in the program in 1992 uh, and had a marvelous sponsor. Uh, I got recovery. Uh, I got abstinent. I lost weight. At that time, I lost about 50 pounds uh, and, and uh, seemed to be doing very well. Um, I did go on to get divorced, but again, through program, I was able to get through my divorce. Uh, the problem with that first time when I came in program, and a, and a persistent problem for me is what chapter five in the big book talks about, about those people who seem to be constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. Um, most of my recovery through this program has always hinged upon my willingness to be honest with myself. Uh, uh, I think one problem I have as a compulsive overeater anyways, is just a tremendous capacity to lie to myself. And so uh, another issue I would suggest that, that led me down the path of departure out of this program the first time I came in was I failed to, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a statement that, that is heard sometimes in OA now about being in the middle of the herd. Uh, I failed to place myself in the program and keep myself in the program and over the years, you can slowly begin to just drift ever more out to the periphery of the program. And as I said, I was probably out of the program before I even knew I was out of the program. And, and what started after that, so I left the program about the late 90s and then proceeded for, uh, oh, off and on about 12 years of just constantly trying to get myself back in this program and abstinent again. Um, as I said, I struggled over and over to get abstinence and seemed virtually incapable of it. Um, around 2005, I had had a sponsor at the time and I was struggling so hard with being honest. I've shared this before that to give you an idea of, you know, my dishonesty is I could have an entire pizza and describe it as a piece of pizza. It just was a circular piece with about a 12 inch diameter or 16 inch diameter. <laughs> you know, uh, you know uh, I often describe the bag of oatmeal cookies as oatmeal and raisins, you know, I mean, uh, you know, and so this is the sort of stuff we begin lying to ourselves and, and, you know, and it's off and running. And so in 2005, I actually left the program just terribly despondent and thinking that uh, my case was hopeless, that I just couldn't get honest with myself. Um, and I drifted outside a program for a while. Now, um, I mentioned that I just had nine years of abstinence uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago. 
Uh, on November 4th, uh, 10 years ago, this coming November 4th, uh, a really tragic event happened in my life. Uh, and I haven't mentioned it before, but I have no children of my own, but as a latchkey child and a mom who really loves to work, uh, at 11 years old, I was charged with taking care of uh, my little sister, who uh, my mom stayed home until she was one, and then after her first year, my mom went back to work, and I was the child in charge of getting her ready every morning, taking her to the sitter. I was the one who had to come home and pick her up from the sitter, and, and so forth and so on. I grew very attached to my sister, uh, certainly felt uh, towards her like she was a daughter of mine, and uh, I mention this again just so that you can have uh, less than two degrees of separation. So my beloved sister, uh, 10 years ago, next month on the 4th, uh, was making a cell phone call while driving down the highway and veered off the center line and died uh, uh, in a head-on collision while making a cell phone call. And the sad part was the person she was on the phone with uh, had to sit there and you know listen to her pass. Um, and it devastated me. It absolutely devastated me. And what started was a year of just uh, just a, a hellish year for me. Uh, one of the problems that I have certainly with compulsive overeating is not only this desire of never enough, but the last one is never the last one for very long, if that makes sense. And when my sister passed, I felt like, you know, as a sort of promise to her, I needed to clean up my life. I was using then, I was compulsive eating, I was you know, totally in my disease. And I decided that I would have to, to stop. And so uh, I promised I would stop on the first of the new year, and I was unable to stop. And I decided I would start on the day of January. And I was binging by five o'clock that night. And what literally proceeded was an entire year where every night I went to bed thinking tomorrow was the day I would get abstinent. And the next day would come, and by one or two o'clock, I had mapped out whatever binge I was going to have that evening. And I just became completely incapable of, of uh, stopping my compulsive eating. And uh, in October, uh, uh, with a month to go before you know, the one-year anniversary of her passing, I had literally just a mental breakdown one day. Uh, caused by an incident with my neighbors, and I found myself going outside of my house and yelling at my neighbors so just awfully that my neighbors were looking at me trying to figure out whether to call the police or some local psychiatric squad to come haul me away. And that was the moment when I walked inside my house, and uh, I was so embarrassed the way I was just wailing at my neighbors that I came inside my house and I sat on my sofa, and I just realized that I was either gonna kill myself or I was gonna figure out a way to get honest with myself so I could get back in program. And so what I did that day was promise myself that I would do anything to try and get abstinent again and, and clean up my life. And uh, I went to the 100 pounders meeting that night and hoping that I would find this person that I was gonna to ask to be my sponsor. Um, that person was there that night and I didn't ask him to be my sponsor, but he, he said something that night that I've never forgotten. And I share this for the newcomers that he said, you know, even if you just have one day on this program or two days or three days, you have one, two, three days more arrives today. And he said, there's no reason why you can't turn around and shake the hand of that newcomer 
and welcome them just as hopefully someone had welcomed you. And I took that message to heart and I actually changed my work schedule. So for the next year, I could get up every morning and go to a 7.30 meeting and just say hello to people who came to the meeting and then head to work about you know 7.45. Um, then I arrived at the Sunday meeting that that's, you know, was in Studio City. And uh, as some of you may know that that Sunday meeting in Studio City has the largest sort of percentage of men of perhaps any meeting that's not literally a men's stag meeting. And I pitched at that meeting something that just such a sense of desperation that two fellows at that meeting came up after the meeting and they said, look, we heard you pitch and we would like you to go to this restaurant and just grab a table and sit there because as soon as we're done here, we're gonna come and we're gonna help you. And sure to their thinking and they're saying, uh, those guys came and sat with me that day over breakfast and helped me figure out a way that I could get abstinent and get some recovery in this program. And as I said, I am forever grateful to them. Um, it required me, as I said, to get completely honest with myself and with another person. And it also uh, required me to sort of give up the notion that I can make an important decision about my food. And so what I might like to talk about is a little bit of my recovery. Um, for me, my movement into the program with steps one, two, and three was really reaching that point where, uh, you know, step one says, uh, we admitted we were powerless over food, dash, our lives had become unmanageable. And for me, the worst problem with my compulsive overeating is, you know, you hear those stories about, you know, a bad breakup, you can eat a pint of ice cream, or, you know, this happens, and, you know, people eat comfort foods. But as a compulsive overeater, my life unmanageable, the threshold of the unmanageability to my life kept getting lower and lower. You know, uh, uh, in my compulsive overeating, anything could drive me to a binge in the end, even someone just cutting me off in traffic. And that's part of what created uh, just the chaos of my life and my disease was my life really was unmanageable because all I could ever think about was food and all that ever happened in my life just kept driving me to food. For me, step two, came to believe in a power greater than myself, is not only the spiritual component to which I might ascribe, uh, you know, prayers to a higher power and so forth, but I also feel for my disease, the real help that I had when I came in program was realizing that if I look back on my life, every time I've tried to make the decision about my food, it has almost always gone wrong. And I think one of the most healthy steps I made in coming into the program was realizing I needed someone else to help me make decisions about my food. And step three then becomes, uh, you know, this willing, the, making a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand them is not only, again, that spiritual notion of becoming willing to turn my life over to a power greater than me, but I also feel on just a real simplistic level it was my willingness to accept the fact that I needed to bring someone else in for decisions on my life in the beginning about food. But as I've recovered in this program over the past nine years, I also realized that uh, bringing people into my life to make decisions are one of the most healthy things that I've got from this program over the years. Um, and so, uh, to the extent that these fellows helped me how to eat soberly, that's been really great. 
And uh, if you've ever heard of that sober eating crowd, that is certainly the crowd that, that uh, uh, I listen to and I hang with. In other words, today in my recovery, I talk about what I'm going to eat with my sponsor. I always plan what I'm going to eat ahead of time. Or if I arrive at a location uncertain about the food, I contact my sponsor as soon as I'm aware of what my options are. Uh, and then I share those with someone else. Now, it's not that he uses a fine tooth comb to uh, you know, analyze all my decisions, but uh, I can convince myself that a gallon of ice cream is okay when perhaps one scoop would do. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, I can have one plate of food and I know engineering well enough that I can stack many different foods higher than they should normally be stacked on a plate. And so sharing that with someone, so saying, you know, I'm going to go here and I'm going to have, uh, you know, seven pieces of chicken, you know, my sponsor can say, well, you know, wouldn't a normal person maybe have three, you know, and it's that kind of thing. Because uh, uh, the more I've shared food decisions with my sponsor, the more I've learned which decisions I can trust even inside my own mind, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that's one of the greatest benefits I've gotten from programs. So. When I look at the, the, the recovery, I'll talk a little bit about maybe how I've seen my recovery and program. Um, I'm very lucky, uh, uh, when we get to the recovery steps, I, might, I hope that I might talk a little bit about step 11, using prayer and meditation to get a closer contact with God. Um, I had a teacher that, that uh, taught me a, a lot of good things about meditation, but he also kind of showed me how, uh, if you're, if you're familiar at all with Buddhism and the Four Noble Truths, he showed me something once that I found quite fascinating about our 12-step program. And, and this is just an idea that has helped me understand the program. The Four Noble Truths say that there's stress in life. That's just the fact of life. You either get something or you're afraid you'll lose something and there's stress in life. And all stress has a cause. And the third noble truth is there is such a thing as unconditional happiness. There is a way to end that suffering. And the fourth noble truth is there is a path to achieve that unconditional happiness. Now, in the 12-step programs, to me, steps one, two, and three are all about the misery and stress that I existed in before I came in program. All of the stress and everything I make in my life about stress is kind of about those. My life becomes unmanageable. Uh, you know, I'm seeking something other than the willingness to sit inside my own body, and then I make an inappropriate decision. That's stress. Uh, to the second noble truth, the fact that all stress has a cause, if you look at steps four, five, and six, if they're not anything but trying to dig up all the causes of stress in my life, I don't know what else is. You know, we make a searching uh, and fearless moral inventory. I look at all the resentments, you know, as a compulsive overeater, I just littered my life with resentments. You know, I was very passive aggressive, so I was even worse. I would create expectations for you, and then when you did not meet those expectations, I would not only get angry, but I wouldn't tell you why I was angry, so I could get more angry when you couldn't figure out why I was angry, you know. And, and all these things are just creating this, you know, the causes of stress that cause so many problems in my life. Um, in recovery, you know, the steps of seven, eight, and nine are all about, you know, 
getting rid of those causes of our stress. If you've done a proper moral inventory, if you've shared it with your sponsor, if you've come out with an appropriate list of amends, and even my amends required the help of a sponsor, uh, you know, uh, uh, I've been very fortunate to work with a sponsee, and it's sometimes much easier when you're working with someone else to see those things that we think we need to apologize that may be perhaps more self-serving than actually uh, something that would eliminate the cause of stress in our life. And so having someone help me look at those amends and decide which ones were truly appropriate and which ones might be appropriate under certain circumstances versus has been you know, one of the great joys of recovery in this program, working those steps. And <clears throat> the big book, uh, uh, there was a, a, a big book program that has occurred at some of the OA birthdays taught by a fellow from Canada named Lowry Sherniak. And I attended his once and uh, he talked about something that I've never forgotten. He said, if you work steps one through eight and you get to step nine, having made your amends and so forth, he said, once you've made your amends at step nine, before you go to step 10, you should read the ninth step promises. And he said, that is a checklist because if you cannot check off every one of those ninth step promises as, as a feeling you have within you, that's an indicator that there's still work to do in those recovery steps of four through eight, then maybe you need to go back and look at the inventory. But to the extent that the ninth step promises sort of represent what we could describe as unconditional happiness and recovery, that's the beauty of the ninth step promises. And the recovery steps of 10 and 11 and 12 are like the fourth noble truth. They are the path to our unconditional happiness. You know, today, the better I work steps 11 or 10, 11 and 12, the more I can feel myself, one, grow as a better person, and two, better cement whatever unconditional happiness I may have access to at any moment in my time. Now, mind you, I'm not, you know, enlightened or anything. So that's a very ethereal kind of notion, but we've all had happy moments in our life. And we've all had moments where we're terribly dogged down by the pain and suffering in our life. And what I have found most enriching in this program is how when I share out my pain, there are resources in this program that can very often provide me practical advice. And so that was maybe what I might like to spend a little extra time. You know, uh, crazy things have happened to me in this program. As I just shared, you know, the, 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 the incident that drove me back into the program was the, was the sudden death of my sister you know, who, who I felt uh, like a daughter to me. It was like losing a child to me, and I still suffer a great deal from that. But you know what's interesting? When I shared that at a meeting, when, when I reached out to my fellows, uh, you know, there are people in this program that have suffered far worse than, than what I, you know, uh, I feel I have. And there are people who gave me really good advice. I shared once, and people, uh, there was a person in the program I had not even, for a moment thought they might have had some terrible event in their life and they shared almost precisely the same experience. And you know, one of the most enriching things I get in program today is that ability to, to you know, ask them, well, what did you do? Um, uh, I was hoping to, to talk about more older things, but I'll talk about something that just happened very recently. Uh, last August, I was getting off my couch and walking into the kitchen to get uh, some water out of the refrigerator 
and I felt my legs get a little shaky and I leaned against the table to, uh, to uh, sort of uh, ride out any sense of vertigo I was feeling and I fainted and I held, fell down to the floor and I hit the table and I sliced off half of my ear. Um, and uh, uh, I got up, I got to the hospital. The, long, the, 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 the quick end of the story is uh, I had to get a pacemaker. And so I was in the hospital four days and the next thing I know I had a pacemaker. But here's the recovery in this program. Number one, uh, I had myself and I reached out to tons of people in program. Number two, because I know to ask in program, by the end of the first day, I knew a person who also got a pacemaker four weeks ahead of me. So you know what? As I went through those first couple of weeks you know, of having this thing, I had someone in program that I could call and say, hey, what was it like? Did you feel like this? Were you itching? Did you want, you know? And, and to me, that's probably one of the most significant miracles I find in recovery today, is that if I'm willing to share my life, I can find people who are going through the same, you know? What I wanna say, as an addict, you know, I'm not ever comfortable with my feelings, especially if in the course of feeling something about my feelings, I can imagine something to get me out of my feelings. You know what I mean? That's like the essence of our addiction. And when I can reach out to people in this program and, and find out how they got through a similar experience as me, I can either find something that's truly helpful uh, in a truly helpful way, but at the very least, I can find someone who has proven to me that they've sat with the feelings I'm now feeling and they got through it. You know, and that gives me hope in my recovery. And that's, uh, to me, one of the more beautiful things about, about my time in this program and where I find myself today. Uh, and so uh, uh, I think that's kind of, kind of where I'm getting. I would just finish with this. Um, so today I work, you know, step 10. Every night I try to do an inventory. Um, another thing I've learned in program is that, uh, it's really critical. Uh, well, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago with some fellows I meet with that, you know, when I get in crisis today, what's one of the most important things that I can do is share my feelings out loud and in the moment. I'll give you an example. I had a sponsee who uh, recently had an experience where they had a very emotionally involved experience. And rather than call someone right when it happened, they decided they would talk about it the next day. And when they went home without even thinking, they went to the refrigerator to get a snack, which was typically an apple. And before they knew what happened, they had reached for a snack that was not appropriate for them. And they had eaten it before they had even realized it. And you know, and one of the things we talked about is that, you know, by carrying that frustration with him, he allowed his disease to kind of get the upper hand on him and make him do something that perhaps if he had shared in the moment, you know, and at least let someone else know that he was having some problems, that uh, he might not have had that incident happen to him. And so uh, I think about that today. I think that the, in the 10th step, my inventory is very important. I was mentioning step 11 through prayer and meditation. Um, uh, I don't, uh, I don't talk about my meditation very much. Uh, uh, I was taught by a teacher who's actually a, a Buddhist monk at a monastery down near San Diego. And uh, uh, he taught me how to meditate. And, and I've come to realize that in step 11, that really is a beautiful key to our recovery. 
that I would like to suggest, you know, uh, someone once made a comment and I can't remember who said it, that, that part of wisdom is the ability to sit alone with our own thoughts. And, uh, you know, as a compulsive overeater, that's one of the more difficult things that uh, I can do on any given day, frankly, is sit around and do nothing and, and just let my own thoughts get the better of me. And meditation, one of the best things I've discovered with meditation is uh, my teacher talked about how if you focus on the breath and you get really into the breath and you make the breath your friend and, and one of your favorite activities that, you know, the concentration that you can achieve in meditation is a profound concentration that may be the one thing that we as 12-step people uh, can truly get addicted to. In other words, if we focus on our breath and we concentrate on our breath, it gives me an opportunity to open myself up to, to a part of me I didn't know was there. And so I would suggest to those of you, you know, if you are meditating and, and as a part of your program, you know, really pay attention to it because I feel that, that uh, one of the real avenues towards my ever better progress is continued work on my meditation uh, and my work on others. And, and maybe that's the last thing I'll finish with. Uh, I mentioned at the start that I'm, I'm an introvert and I'm a very shy person. And uh, when people talk about staying in the middle of the herd, for my own sake, I've had to use a different sort of uh, description of my work in the program. On a good day, what I try to do is sew myself into the fabric of Overeaters Anonymous. And I'll explain a little bit what that is. I hate making outreach calls because I'm a shy person. Uh, I can have a heart attack just thinking about calling you, you know? Um, but I know that's so important to my recovery that one of the things I do today is when I'm at a meeting and people are sharing, uh, I try to take notes. I try to listen to what people are sharing and then use that as my excuse to call them. Because I might hear something from one of you that I've never heard about. But if I can call you and say, you know, 10 hey, more heard, minutes. Okay. Uh, oh, that's perfect. You know, I heard you share this and so forth. Uh, one, it gives me an excuse to call you when I'm terrified to call you in the absence of an excuse. And two, it gives me a way to connect, you know, with you in a way that, you know, maybe allows you to feel there is a connection there and it keeps me in the program. You know, as I said, my inclination is just to sit here and maybe see if I can do a camera off thing, you know, and, and, uh, and so it, it forces me to, to, to be a part of the program, you know, uh, speaking here today and so forth. And so anyways, I hope that I've said something of value and, uh, uh, I believe I, I, I reached into the time, and with that, uh, is that not right? Was I given the two-minute warning? That was that ten was minutes. Your... Oh, I have ten, ten minutes. minutes. Well, I guess with that, since I ended it, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'll take. I guess I can do questions, right? Was someone going to manage questions if that was there? Yes, absolutely, Eric. Thank you. Thanks so much for letting me share. Thank you for your share. <laughs> And we do have time for questions, questions only. If you have a question for the speaker, please raise your blue hand in the participant section, and I'll call on the hands as I see them. Nancy, we can't hear you real well. Can you maybe turn up your volume or something? Can you hear me better now? A little bit better. 
I was just saying now is the time for questions. If you have questions for Eric, I thank Eric first. Thank you, Eric. Uh, but if you have questions for him, please raise your hand in the participants section, and I will call on people, people to ask questions as I see those blue hands. This could be the one meeting where I should have figured out a way to go eight more minutes. Huh? <laughs> Uh, Anyone have a question? All right. Okay, Nancy. My name is Nancy Beecham. I am a compulsive overeater, 100 pounder, been in OA 44 years, 150 pound weight loss. Eric, you mentioned, and I heard you clearly, because um, I'm involved in a special meeting at six o'clock Halloween night. You talked about Halloween and that there's nights that are just triggering and the holidays certainly coming up is that. Do you have any hints or can you share with us the difference between Halloween then and Halloween after all these years of abstaining or how you approach the holidays? Sure. Uh Halloween, I would have to say, is very easy nowadays. Uh, you know, uh, I live in a neighborhood where about 20 years ago, I think there was some sort of Halloween scare where they wouldn't even trick or treat for you. So, uh, so I'm very fortunate that where I live, I don't have to buy candy. I don't have trick or treaters come by. And so I can deal with Halloween as nothing more than whatever day of the week it is. Uh, I am glad to hear that there's an OA meeting on Halloween because I think that that one of the beauties I, I do feel in our isolation right now is through Zoom, we really truly can now almost access live meetings almost around the clock. I know people that log on to, to meetings on the East Coast very early in the morning, you know, and people on the East Coast that log into our meetings, you know, late in the evening because it's still early in the evening here. And so that would be my suggestion is, is sew yourself in on that day, get to a meeting or call people or, or go hang out with somebody, you know, uh, if you can, obviously with COVID that, that, that sets up its own rules, but, but associating with others like ourselves, I think is very helpful. We have another question from Jessica. Hi, I'm Jessica, compulsive eater, binge eater, restrictor. Um, thank you so much for your share, Eric, I really appreciated a lot of the things that you said. Um, I guess my question would be if, and, I, and I'm so sorry and sad to hear about your sister. Um, very, very sad. Sure. Um, if that happened now, knowing what you know, how would you go about your recovery differently? Um, in saying that, like, if that happens to any of us while, while we're in recovery? Well, uh, of course, the, the first and foremost is you've got, you've got to get to meetings and you've got to share that. Because, you know, as I mentioned, I think one of the most accessible things this program offers that so few of us, you know, I, I think access is the fact that, that having shared that experience, you see, I got a lot of people who came to me and shared that similar experience. And through that, I gained a bank of people that I could call. You know, especially, uh, you know, when you have to suffer the death of a loved one, and if it's your own child, it's just horrific. You need people that you can talk to. 
And in many ways, people that have gone through that experience really understand what your need is. And so, so today, if that happened to me, I would get, uh, I would get wrapped up into this program just absolutely as quickly as possible. I'll give you maybe another example since, since there is time here to use up. Um, about three years ago, I was working for a, a supervisor that just suddenly turned on me. Um, I don't know what happened. I had, I had really uh, loved working for this person, but either I got close quarters and I threatened them with their supervisor or something, but my boss just became horrific to me and I had to leave the program. And when I left the program, uh, this supervisor was kind of an ass about the process. And I shared that at a meeting at the time. And later at this breakfast, I shared with these guys how this supervisor made me so angry I could not think straight. And I had to work with her another week. And I was so afraid, you know, that uh, I was going to mess up at my job. And then she was just going to make even more fun of me, you know, and it was just going to be a hell week. And it was someone in program that I was willing to share that with who said, gave me two simple things to do. They said, look, if that's how you feel, why don't you call me when this happens? And then when you're finished with that, call me and tell me you've done that. And you know, it was that person reaching out with an idea that I could use that allowed me to get through that last week working with that person when, you know what I mean? Left alone with my mind, uh, it would have destroyed me. And it was through the help of someone in program willing to do that for me that made all the difference in the world. And they would not have been able to do that if I hadn't been willing to share it, if that makes sense, you know? Uh, so anyways. 